1: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
2: What's up, y'all? Wanna welcome you back to the HuntStand Podcast season two, and this is your host, Will Cooper. The HuntStand Podcast is your weekly source for insightful conversations with veteran hunters, dedicated outdoor enthusiasts, and top industry personnel. I'm going to have guests on here who are true experts in their field, diving into the captivating world of our industry and the great outdoors. With each episode, you, the listener will receive invaluable knowledge, tips, and guidance on how to enhance your skills in the wild and in life. Tune in to be entertained, informed, and driven to reach new heights. The Hunt Stand Podcast is brought to you by Yamaha and its full line of class defining, adventure seeking motorcycles, ATVs, and side by side vehicles. The HuntStand Podcast is also brought to you by Springfield Armory and their lineup of Model 2020 Waypoint Rifles. And finally, the Hunt Stand Podcast is brought to you by StealthCam. It's never been easier to go wireless with the Command Pro app. Capture high quality photos and videos of all the action wherever you hunt with StealthCam's advanced cameras and data plans tailored to your needs. So make sure you check out their website today, StealthCam.com. HuntStand Podcast Season 2, buckle up. It's going to be a good ride. Let's go. All right, brother, you ready to get this thing rolling? Yeah, let's do it, man. All right, dude. Well, man, how are you doing today? Welcome to the podcast.
1: I'm good, man. Appreciate you having me on. <laughs>
2: yeah, dude, absolutely. I've been wanting to do this for a while with you. And uh, specifically, we're going to talk about West Texas, ed. If we go down some rabbit holes with muleys and whatever else, we will, man. But what I like to do to get each of these podcasts started is I like for the guests to kind of give us that 30,000 foot view, call it the 30 foot tree stand view, which just kind of give us, you know, the the DL a little bit about little bit about yourself casey
1: yeah so i'm a central texas native grew up just north of austin um but i've been i started guiding when i was in high school uh, roughly when i was 16 could drive you know got in the truck and started guiding out in southwest texas during the summers um from there i was guiding kind of part-time throughout high school into college, working at an archery shop in Austin, uh, worked at that archery shop for seven years, loved the opportunity. Um, but I didn't get to be as, as you know, and a lot of people know in the outdoor Mm -hmm. industry, you don't get to really hunt as much as you'd like when you're in the outdoor industry. So I basically put in my two weeks, um, and, started guiding full time about five and a half years ago uh, with a company called west texas Hunt organization and a couple other outfitters occasionally uh, mm-hmm. we specialize in just west texas hunting the high desert the trans pecos uh, do a lot of odd ad hunts but mule deer white tail free range axis some other free range exotics on the side and that's what uh that's what i've been doing the last coming up on five and a half years or so, I lose track of time, but, uh, but year round and yeah, keeps you busy. (laughs)
2: Dude, you've been kicking ass at it, man. Just following you and working with you and keeping in touch with you since we became friends, man, it's pretty insane just seeing the amount of animals you kill throughout the year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it makes time go by quick. I mean, (laughs) but, uh, but I love it. Like, especially the mountain terrain, you know, in West Texas, uh, I don't, know, I don't know. The harder the hunt, the more fun, in my opinion, and and uh, yeah, I mean, it's still like it can be a job at times. Yeah, it, you know, it's stressful. There's a lot of pressure behind it, but at the end of the day, you know, you really can't complain that much when you're hunting sheep. <laughs> so,
2: dude the the funny thing was, uh, you know, I started managing a shop, archery shop in Austin, around the same time that you began guiding. So. I wouldn't say the shop that I was that I that I was managing was trying to be a competitor to Archery Country or you know anything whatsoever. But every time I'd have a customer come in, they're like, "Yeah, man, used to have this guy Casey that worked on my bow, and he's not there anymore. He's guiding out in West Texas." And the amount of times that I heard that coming to my shop, I'm like, "Who the hell is this Casey guy? I got to get to know him." And freaking here we are now, man.
1: Yeah, I know it's a small world. I mean, I love that shop. The guys at Archery Country are amazing people. It's an amazing shop, and I. I'm fortunate to have worked there as long as I did. And with the people I did, it was a, it was a great experience, but it was just time for me to move on. And I know mm-hmm. that that connection that we have between that's pretty, pretty crazy. It's a small world.
2: <laughs> dude. It It's insane. Just like, even, you know, as I've kind of gone through the outdoor industry now, it's just like connections that have made and, you know, people know people and how things happen. It's like, God, this industry is so small, dude. It doesn't matter whether yeah. you're a guy and outfitter or, you're at the executive level of a billion dollar company. It's, it's crazy.
1: Yeah. It's a small world.
2: (laughs) So let's talk about West Texas, man. Let's talk about, you know, the all dad mule deer, let's go down some rabbit holes with that. But what in your opinion makes West Texas hunting so unique and what draws people to it? What draws people to it? You think, you know,
1: the uniqueness of it, I mean, terrain aside, landscape landscape you know aside um is i guess just the the well number one would be just the exotics that are out there the free range exotics that were introduced you know barbary sheep odded being one of the main ones that i guide for from september through the end of march into or, you know mid-april almost seven months out of the year um i'll, I'll guide mainly audad hunts and those animals you know originally from north africa you know background on them they were introduced back in the 50s yeah and those you know thrive in west texas um of course there's the desert mule deer which out there is a is a great hunt as well i mean you can mule deer hunt and you know all over the u.s but uh the desert mule deer out there is definitely a great experience and then there's other animals that we hunt you know there's Avelina, of course, for the smaller game and pigs and other stuff as well. But the oddad definitely takes up the majority of my time.
2: <clears throat> yeah, dude. I mean, it's definitely a unique hunt. And just since we've done, you know, the Hunt Stand original with you back in January, uh, I'd never done it before, lived in Texas my whole life. And, you know, like I said in the film, it's it's like you're in a completely different world out there. It's like when you get out there and like you said, the terrain And just looking at those odd up on the top of those cliffs, it's, I I really can't put words to it, man.
1: Yeah, it's an incredible area. I mean, that's just why I'm so drawn to it and why a lot of people come back is that, Mm -hmm. I mean, I meet people all the time that grew up in different parts of Texas that have no idea that those mountain ranges exist or that Texas actually has anything like that. And, uh, I mean, it's true rough desert. Mountain country, as you know, as you can oh, see yeah. in the film that y'all did, oh, yeah. uh, it's uh it's awesome terrain, similar to parts of Arizona or New Mexico or even overseas um, hunting ibex terrain and and stuff like that, different sheep species. But uh yeah, I don't know. It's a it's an addicting area to go to, and it is so diverse. Whether you are hunting where we were near the Chisos Mountain Range, whether you're in the Glass Mountains. Uh, different parts of west texas from van horn fort davis all over the place even into southwest texas where you can hunt audad um it's just every area is very different and you can kind of see all sorts of different types of terrain
2: <clears throat> yeah and it's insane that 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 is all just in one state man that you can go and see all those diversities in just one state because you don't get that okay. a whole lot of other parts of the nation
1: Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, the amount of miles that I drive every fall is is stupid.
2: (laughs) I know. It's like every time I get on Instagram and I see you posting something, it's like you're working on your truck, like shocks went out. or like, yeah, dang, he's putting some miles on that thing. It's
1: a full-time job even when I'm not hunting.
2: (laughs) Dude, that's insane, man. Let's talk about Audad for a little bit. You know, kind of describe... Audad to the listeners out there that they may, they may have never seen a freaking image of one or video one. So kind of describe to them what these Audad are and what makes them so challenging to hunt.
1: So Audad, Barbary sheep, kind of like what we were talking about. They're from originally from North Africa, um, Barbary Coast, Chad, a couple other areas, um, but they were introduced into a handful of different mountain ranges in west texas back in the early 50s they were first brought here and brought into zoos and then those zoos i guess they had overflow i don't know the exact story behind it transported some through texas parks and wildlife and some private ranches out into west texas um and ever since then they've kind of exploded now when you get into (laughs) southwest texas you know now they're everywhere um in southwest texas more around The Devil's River Corridor, Del Rio, Comstock, that area, Mm -hmm. Um, those sheep, more or less, from what I have been told and understand, have were escapees off exotic branches. Those areas flood a lot. They were introduced in some different exotic branches back in, I, I think, the early 80s. Don't quote me on that. And now, because of them escaping, they're kind of all over that southwest Texas area as well. Um, but they're a super unique animal um they they're called a the Barbary sheep, but they can't breed with other sheep species. They're not a true sheep, and their mannerisms they act a lot more like an ibex or a goat would um they're i mean pretty big animals overall. I mean, you saw them through spotting scope and everything oh, like yeah. that but now, on average, those big West Texas rams can be pretty easily three hundred pounds um and yeah they're just extremely extremely tough animals i don't know what it is about them but they uh, just their ability to survive where they do i guess has a huge part to do with it but also they just don't like to die no matter what it is they're uh, they're very tough yeah they they can take a lot of lead and uh they live off of cactus so <laughs> they they do pretty well
2: yeah you got to be freaking tough to eat on some freaking cactus man so yeah
1: it's always mind blowing when they're just chewing on a choya.
2: <laughs> yeah. And you just see, and they just have like a chin full of it. Just,
1: face oh, yeah. Full. Doesn't bother them at all. <laughs> no.
2: Dude, talk to us about judging a mature ram. Cause I know this was a struggle for myself when I came out there with y'all because you really can't judge an odd dad just by the size of its horns.
1: Yeah, that is, uh, I I would compare it to like the difficulty of judging these sheep. And and I mean, a lot of other species, but it's, it's like judging a bear. If you're not around them all the time, Yeah, uh, it is extremely difficult. Um, and the main reason behind that is because the ewes and the rams both have horns. Um, and at long range where we're usually glassing a mile, two miles, if not more, Uh, A young ram and a ewe can look very, very similar. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not until you really start to pick out those mature rams, their body size, how much larger they are, just the size of their head, everything about them will be substantially larger. You know, more mass, longer horns, but also a much bigger head. Almost, I kind of describe it to people as like when you're looking at ewe's, young rams, immature rams, and then you see that big mature ram it's going to stand out and be completely obvious. It's going to look like, Oh yeah. Oh, you know, at distance, at least it's going to look twice the size. It's not twice as big. It's pretty close to compared to a younger, you know, you or something like that. But it's very obvious when they, when, when you're a when you finally see a big mature ram, it mm. can tell the difference between them. You know?
2: <clears throat> yeah. It's, I can't remember what day it was on the hunt, but I'd finally glassed up. I think I'd found like a small little herd of them up on the side of the mountain. I'm like, oh, Casey, is that a big one? You looked at it like, oh, hell yeah, that's a mature, that's a mature one. Well, I'm like, got it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, it always
1: takes a few days to get the hang of it. I mean, and I tell everyone that that comes down. It's like, don't feel bad if number one, you can't find them because they blend in so incredibly well. But also, it you have to be around them quite a bit. Even me guiding, like when I first started, it took a long time to really you know, be able to not just call out exactly how big the rim is, but just to be 100% sure what you're going after.
2: <clears> yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I know another uh, way that you described to kind of judge is, I can't remember what you call it, but like, it's the the hair that's coming off uh, right the off the chest. Yeah, the chaps. I kept want to say yep. bur- mop or broomstick for whatever reason. Like, mop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it looks like a mop, dude, but yeah, the oh, yeah. They're chaps. Like when I saw that, that ram and you finally verified that that fact was mature. When I looked at it, you could just see like the chaps and then they've got like that little, um, uh, brussel of hair that comes off their front legs too.
1: Yeah. That it you- kind of comes down to their knee and hangs down. Yeah. Part of their chaps. And, and that is a big thing with mature sheep is that they will have most of the time, but 99% of the time they will have those long sweeping chaps on them. Um, you know, sometimes you can see a younger ram or a ram that's kind of at that age where, some people would say he's mature, um, um, but he's not truly like a really old ram. Uh, and they will start to have those longer chaps. So you, you do have to be kind of careful at times, but generally those big old mature sheep will have longer chaps on them.
2: <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about chasing these boogers, man. Um, I know when you and I first tar- started talking about these a few years ago, I kept telling you like, man, I want to kill them with my bow. I want to kill them with my bow. And, uh, I think that's something that is severely underestimated by a lot of people out there. Now it's been done. It's done a lot, but let's talk about, you know, kind of what your preferred methods and strategies are to going after some of these all dad.
1: Yeah. I mean, whether it's with, whether you're rifle hunting, which we, majority of what we do is rifle hunting. Occasionally I'll do some bow hunts and, Mm -hmm. and there's another outfit I'm really good friends with that does, you know, quite a few bow hunts. Yep, um, That's what they specialize in. But the terrain specifically that, that I hunt, the outfit, I work with hunts, it's not very conducive to bow hunting. You could say um, at least now we do have a few ranches that are, but in general, it can be very, very tough. Yeah. I mean, what you're fighting against with them is, well, number one is of course, just locating a mature ram. That's half of the battle because their eyesight is incredible. You know, they'll sit there and stare at you at a thousand yards and, and know that you're there. Mm-hmm. Um, but depending on the scenario, their eyesight is their strength, but it also gives them, it'll kind of give them a false sense of security if they can see you uh, in certain scenarios. So, uh, yeah, just sneaking up on them, getting in distance, whether it's with a rifle or a bow, it's it's always difficult um just because of how good their eyesight is but just like anything else playing the wind and a huge thing that I do uh is re- and, and this goes with pretty much any hunting but with sheep specifically or these odded because of their eyesight is I always try to get the sun at my back and get my you know front of our body shadowed uh and that even if we don't have a perfect wind that really really seems to be the way to, if you really want to cut a lot of distance on them is the best way to do it.
2: That, and then talk about walking in that single file line, like when you're guiding people.
1: Yeah. And I guess, you know, it's funny because I have to explain this to a lot of people very often. And I, the first ranch I ever guided on in high school, uh, we did mainly safari style hunting. The ranch manager had hunted, he had worked a lot over in Africa. So it was kind of something that I learned pretty early on uh that i kind of took for granted but yeah with any animal in general but especially when they have as good of eyesight as an oddad uh you want to when you're stalking in on that animal and you're closing the distance Mm -hmm. especially if you don't have a lot of cover uh, staying behind one another single file kind of tied up to one another uh is it is it can be very very beneficial to closing the distance just because when that animal looks at you or maybe he does spot movement and, and sees you off in the distance if you're single file you only have one silhouette you know if you're fanned out and i had a hunter on my right hunter on my left and i saw the sheep look over at us and i drop down well the other two guys may have not noticed and they might just keep walking and accidentally blow the animal out whereas if they're behind me, close up behind me that animal's only gonna see one silhouette and if in me being the guy, the person in front, if I notice those sheep look my direction or notice they might be glancing at me, I'll get down immediately and the and the hunters will be right behind me and, and do the same
2: <clears throat> yeah it's I know that's something I picked up on while you were uh when we were there hunting with you as you you really talked with uh josh and the camera guy logan like hey i know we're filming but if we want to get it done we got to stay in that single file line
1: yeah and and, you know i guess it's just because i don't know if it goes back to like just predatory animals being in packs um or or what but if you you can get away with a lot more if you've got one person in front and there's just one silhouette there especially you know myself being a guide I'm watching them. I know their mannerisms and their body language a lot more than someone that hasn't hunted them. So if I stop hunker down and the hunters do the same behind me, it'll, you know, definitely increase your chances.
2: Yeah. thousand percent. Let's talk to, uh, kind of that, that person that's interested in wanting to do a hunt like this. What are some key things and considerations to have in their minds if they're wanting to do a hunt like this with you for say.
1: Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is anyone, I I would say that anyone can do it. Um, there are definitely areas that are more, you have to be a little bit more physically capable, you could say. Mm -hmm. Um, and just know your, know your limitations and just talk to a reputable outfitter that is going to be real with you on that Um, because being a desert sheep type hunt depending on the area you're in it is going to be rough terrain you know there's going to be cactus loose shale rock and on top of that you're a lot of times having to at least prepare to shoot possibly out at slightly longer ranges um and a lot of times you know we can Cut as close as possible, but because of how good their eyesight is, because of how open the terrain can be, whether it's mountains, canyons that we're shooting across a, you know, across and or shooting up a cliff face, those sheep love extremely rough terrain. They're, yeah, I mean, they're there for a reason. I mean, as you saw, so preparing to shoot a little bit further, we usually tell people just be prepared to shoot say 400 yards confidently. Um, maybe a little further if if possible but ideally we're always going to get as close as possible yeah uh, and i mean other than that is just coming into it with a good attitude like you don't have to be a triathlete or you know a, or a crossfit dude to like come do these sheep hunts um just have a good attitude have fun like I'm not going to leave you in the dust, you know, just take your time, be safe with it. When we're on the mountain, enjoy the experience and, you know, just, yeah. Enjoy the sheep hunt more than anything. It's, it's something that anyone can do if they put their mind to it.
2: I want to talk about the, the physicality behind it. You know, I think that when you kind of talk about the rough terrain, uh, the deserts that you're going through. I mean, there's some things to keep in mind, like uh, the terrain and how steep it is, elevation changes. Now you're not necessarily having to worry about thinner air like you would chasing after elk in Colorado, but you still have yeah. some pretty serious elevation changes. Because I mean, those those odded that we were looking at up on the cliff, you know, they were scaling down this thing, and y'all were getting all around on them on these ridges and everything. But talk about um what kind of shape do they need to be in? You know, I think when you talk about it, people are like, man, this sounds like I need to get in the kind of shape I need to for an elk hunt.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've had, I've guided guys that were, you know, from, you know, competitive, like power lifters to, you know, gym rats to dudes that were 85 years old. Mm -hmm. And, really as long as you know of course being in shape is always going to help it's going to you're going to have a better experience either way yeah um, but as long as you can have decent cardio uh you know fairly decent i'm not going to you know me personally as the guide i'm not i'm going to always watch the hunter and make sure they're you know not overdoing it pushing themselves too hard yeah but there is a fine line where you have to push yourself a lot of times beyond people what they you know what you think you're really capable of. Um, and it is, I mean, it's it's not that you necessarily are in, you know, extremely high elevation, like you said, Colorado, other places where you're hitting 10,000 plus feet and you can't breathe. But some of our properties in areas in West Texas, you, you might be hitting that, you know, 7,000 foot range roughly. Some, a lot of places aren't quite that high, mm-hmm. but it can get up there. And so if you're from sea level or a flatlander, um you're still gonna feel it you know it's it's not like it's uh you're you know you're gonna feel a little bit of that elevation change it's gonna be a little bit tough to breathe but after a little acclimation it's nothing bad uh you'll get used to it pretty quick and i mean the biggest thing is just the shale and loose rock stuff like that it's uh it's hunting that desert type terrain it is a lot different than being even if you are at ten thousand feet in the mountains of colorado you don't have as Technical of terrain most of the time, unless you're in like go country or whatever, yeah. so that's a big consideration
2: <clears throat> yeah i I can remember whenever we were out there, and you know we were back at camp, and we could actually still glass and see you guys in the scope when y'all were going after a group. I remember uh when y'all it was an unsuccessful stock unfortunately, but when, when I was watching y'all come back through the scope you could see how red the camera guy's face was behind (laughs) y'all. He came from Wisconsin, (laughs) Minnesota, not in the best of shape. You know, he's fairly good shape, but not the best. And I was like, "Ah." he he
1: kept up well. Um, No, they, they, they both did great, but it is, I mean, the thing is like, I always tell people it don't like when we're on a hunt, do not compare yourself to me. Like, don't feel bad because I'm literally in those mountains, you know, 25 plus days a month, seven months out of the year. And, uh, yeah, I mean, like when I go back out on my first hunts in September or two or three hunts, I'm whooped. I mean, I'm, you know, trying to get back in shape and no matter what I do in the gym, um, it, it, it helps, but it doesn't fully prepare you for that type of terrain. You just have to kind of suck it up and get used to it.
2: Oh yeah. Well, dude, I can only imagine like after that summer we spent touring, you know, Total archery oh, challenge and the amount yeah, of old oh fashions we consumed.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was pretty, I was pretty miserable. Those first couple of hunts in September after that.
2: <laughs> Dude, I, I can only imagine that. That was a good time though. So. Oh yeah. Long trip. Next thing I want to ask you is you've got a lot of different people that come into your camps. You, you take a lot of different people up on the mountains. What in your mind are probably some of the common misconceptions or maybe myths about oddad hunting that they come to camp with, or if you even hear those,
1: you know, I,
2: I'm sure I've heard some over the
1: years. Um, well, a big thing is like, their meat is, you know, unedible. That's that's one thing that you always hear about audit hunting, which yeah. don't get me wrong, like it's not elk meat. It's not Axis meat. It's not whitetail. No. I can make a giant, I can make a giant list of things that are better than audit. Like trust <laughs> me, it's not it's not like top tier quality wild game, but it is very edible. Like treated correctly. Um, the thing is about them is they have an incredible amount of connective tissue, even in their backstraps, uh in some of the Better cut. So I always encourage people to take the meat. I'm happy to help them pack it out. Um, but it's a meat where you need to grind it, grind yeah. it, slow cook it, treat it, you know, just give it a lot of TLC. And it actually has a really good flavor. But if you want to cut it up the day we get back from camp and cook steaks on the grill, Oof. it's almost inedible. Yeah. But uh, that, I mean, that's the biggest one. Um, other than that, I mean, I I you know, I always hear random stories from folks about someone they know, or a friend that they know that said yeah. some things about odd ad hunting. But um uh, most people come into it with a pretty open mind. I mean, these days with you know, all the films on YouTube and everything like that, like most people kind of come into it fairly prepared, um, and, and kind of know what to expect. I mean, we try to prepare people beforehand through emails and gear recommendations and stuff like that of of what to expect. Um, But then again, there's some times where you can only help so much.
2: (laughs) Oh yeah. Let's talk about gear for a second. Now that you brought that up, because I feel like when people think of Texas, a lot of people just think, Oh, I just need my rifle. I'm going to sit in the blind. It's not the case with this.
1: Yeah, no, I mean with gear um, there's, I, I guess, you know, there's a few different things that are extremely important. And, Of course, like rifle, that's because I'm just going to say rifle, whether it's bow or rifle, but I'm going to say rifle right now because of the long range shooting side of things. Or I don't know, these days, people wouldn't even call it long range. It's more like medium, mid range. Um, Yeah, being extremely confident with your equipment, with your rifle, your firearm. um, I mean, these days, it's so extremely easy with apps and different dope charts and knowing the exact drop of your gun, um, to have it dialed in show up where you are fully prepared. And you have spent a lot of time behind that rifle out to the recommended distances, three, 400 yards, maybe a little bit further, 500 yards, um, and, and are confident. And I would say that's probably one of the the biggest roadblocks that I have with clients are not necessarily their rifle being set up correctly, because these days there's so many fantastic custom rifle companies that will kind of do it for you and take the guesswork out of it, which is great for a lot of people that just don't have time, but shoot and practice shooting, not just on a bench. Like that is the biggest thing I see is when you're, up in the rocks and the shale in like a crazy cambered area, Mm -hmm. uh, you need to know how to set up your rifle and set it up quickly, you know, um, to get a stable shooting platform wherever you are. That is probably the biggest thing. There's countless, countless times where we get up on the mountain, whether we're on the side slope or on top of a mesa and it's nothing but rocks and cactus and shale on most of these properties. And so, I've, I've had so many times where guys will just look at the ground and go, what do you want me to do? And I'm and I'm like, what do you mean? You got to set up like right now and shoot, you know, and so many times I'll have to grab their gun from them, lock it into a tripod or put it on the pack for them, just get them as stable as possible. And uh, it definitely can, it can, if I'm having to do that, it can limit our opportunities. You could say So just being extremely confident with your rifle, but also being confident in how you can set it up in, you know, conditions where it's not just the shooting. Yeah.
2: (laughs) So, I mean, it's it's definitely, I mean, you'd probably say then, you know, it's definitely good, obviously, you know, get everything doped in, zeroed in on a bench and you know properly doing it that way but then you really need to practice laying out on a mat sitting down on the ground with tripod and just trying to put yourself in those different hunting scenarios like you hear people talking about doing the same with bow hunting you know practicing with packs on your back doing all that stuff
1: exactly i mean you have to have a controlled environment when you're originally setting up the gun or originally just getting you know familiar with it but after you've you know you're confident with your rifle and you know that it's sighted in practicing prone, you know, practicing just quicker shooting setups, where you, I mean, you could literally be at home, just grabbing your rifle off your pack, dropping down on the ground, getting your bipod set up, you know, with no round in the chamber or anything, but just putting a little piece of paper on the wall with a small target and getting on it quickly from like a standing position or same thing with a tripod. I mean, these days, there's so many different great options for getting a tripod attached to your rifle, whether it's like a bog pod, death grips or any of the different Arca style attachments um, where you can just without thinking, you can have it on the ground, have your gun, you know, positioned correctly and and on an animal as fast as possible.
2: Got it. Got it. Yeah. That's definitely something to consider. And you know, like, um, that's a big thing to do. Cause like you said, guys show up and they get put in this situation in the moment. It's almost kind of like they forget what they're doing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It happens. I mean, and it's just part of hunting as well. Yeah. Like the adrenaline starts pumping. I mean, I've seen every scenario you could think of. Um, but if you, you know, if you practice no matter what, it's always, it's going to help out in the long run. It's going to, going to get on that animal quicker you're probably going to get more opportunities or better opportunities if i'm not having to walk you through the entire thing which is totally fine like i do it all the time um i'm used to it but there's plenty of times where i've missed opportunities on big rams because we just couldn't get our stuff together in time as far as getting on the animal because you know someone might not be extremely comfortable with with
2: doing that it happens man so aside, oh, yeah. aside from getting comfortable with the rifle and really knowing it, uh, or whatever your weapon is for that matter, what are some other critical pieces of gear that people need to, that there must haves for these types of hunts?
1: Yeah. The biggest ones, I kind of break it down into three. I mean, these days with all the different clothing manufacturers, um, I mean, I work with a great company. They're awesome. Um, but at the end of the day, if you're, if you're, if you've saved up for this hunt for a long time, you don't have a lot of, you know, extra money to spare. Clothing is not the end all be all like, it's not the, you really shouldn't worry about it. If you've got some good, you know, I wouldn't wear a cotton shirt out there every day, but if you've got some good clothing, whether it's just like cheaper mountaineering gear, or some old camo, you don't need to run out and get like the newest, latest camouflage clothing or, or hunting clothing in general. Yeah. Um, But the the biggest, I guess it's three things. It's your, your glass backpack and, and boots. I mean, are, are really the the biggest. And as far as boots go, just making sure that you have something that's extremely comfortable for you is in my opinion, going to be pretty supportive. You don't need to get, you know the stiffest most extreme mountaineering boot um but something that's going to hold up to the shale and the, the cactus and the sharp terrain and that's broken in i don't know if i already said that but i've had guys plenty of times show up with boots that are not broken in and you know, they get blisters and oh, yeah. then miserable after the first day and that'll ruin a hunt um backpack i mean having having a good backpack, um, as, as the guide, most of the time I'm going to be packing people's animals out for them, but having some type of frame pack, in my opinion, is, is crucial just because it's going to handle heavier loads better. It's so hot out in the desert. We're packing a ton of water. It's not like we're, we're normally or very, very rarely actually staying out on the mountain. Usually we're not packing tents or gear like that. We're, coming down to a base camp or a or a cabin midday uh or not midday necessarily but at the end of the day and so just a backpack whether it's 2,000 square inches or cubic inches or a little bit larger than that um that can haul some meat haul your water haul haul your your basic necessities and that's not just going to fall apart out there um and lastly is just glass binoculars that sort of thing, just getting, getting the best that you can afford. Um, and a tripod is yes. like the biggest thing, which I, I know you, you know, from being out in that terrain, um, it's such a glassing intensive hunt mm-hmm. that if you don't have a tripod to, even if you only have binoculars, you could have a pair of four or $500 binoculars and that's totally fine if that's what your budget allows, no problem. And if you can attach those to a tripod and get them as stable as possible, it's so much better than having a pair of a thousand dollar binoculars and no no tripod to mount them.
2: That would suck.
1: Uh, I mean that's just a huge huge thing. And then also if you do have a spotting scope, something like that it, it does help a lot but it isn't hundred percent necessary. Just because, like me as a guide, the the guide should always have that stuff. And I always tell people that if you don't have a spotting scope coming into the hunt, and you, and I don't want people to like, you know, go out of their way and extend a credit line to get one when when I already have one, and and they can use mine if needed.
2: <clears throat> no, I hear you, man. I will say to all the listeners out there too, like, don't skimp out on a good tripod too, because. As much yeah. as we're moving around, just like having a good tripod can be the difference. And you actually, I mean, I haven't been doing this as long as you, but I felt like if you didn't have a good stable tripod, if you had one, it was kind of bouncy almost with just a, you know, if there's a pretty good wind out there, it it makes it tough.
1: Yeah. We, and, and we do, we get a lot of, a lot of wind in that country, especially in the hunts that are more winter springtime. And I like, a medium duty tripod, not something that's so lightweight. Like some of those really small backpacking type tripods are great if you're sitting and they're great for packing around. Mm-hmm. Um but I I think I run, I'm trying to remember the exact model. It's a slick. I believe it's an 8040, but I can't remember exactly. And it's a perfect combination of of lightweight, but it's also heavy enough to where if you're in high wind, it's still pretty stable especially if you hang your backpack off of it and it's heavy and it's heavy duty enough to where you can shoot off of it if needed um yeah i mean i've gone through quite a few tripods and, and there's a ton of fantastic companies out there now i just i run slick because it's it's relatively lower price and i've Beat the hell out of everything, so it doesn't matter what it is. It's probably going to eventually break. (laughs) I
2: was about to say, yeah, you do, man. I mean, as much as you're out there, like I don't think anything's invincible with that. So let's talk about glassing and how crucial that is to this hunt because we spend, I mean, I I'll say hours on the glass, man. Six
1: hours a day, probably at least. Yeah, Yeah. at least.
2: I mean, like talk about. I mean, how. I mean, when you first get out there, I mean, these, these odd dad, I mean, they're just like little, not little, but I mean, they're, they're goats on steroids. I mean, the, the way that their muscles are just packed in, you know, they look like one of those red boulders that's out there. I mean, how have you developed over time to, you know, just find these boogers fast?
1: You know, I think it has more to do of just the amount, just the time I'm out there and the amount of time I've spent chasing them because I mean, there are certain things to look for, whether it's a ewe or a ram, they have that heart shape kind of, you know, horn mm-hmm. and you'll usually catch that, sh- that heart shape of their horns before anything else. Cause it just, it's not natural. It stands out a yeah. little bit. Um, but yeah, and the, depending on the terrain you're in, because they're that, anywhere from a light buckskin tan to a dark chocolate or amber color depending on how the light's hitting them and how much dirt they have on them they're extremely hard to find and especially when we're looking at a thousand yards a mile two miles and beyond um it's it's tough but Having a tripod, having very good clear glass, being able to really spend time picking apart the mountain, mesa, whatever it is, and just catch any slight movement. Because, I mean, in some of those boulder fields and rock slides, you could stare at it for half an hour, pan away, and then pan back and all of a sudden there's 30 sheep there that <laughs> maybe you couldn't see before because they were in the boulders or maybe you could see them and you just thought that they were boulders um they are they're very very tough to find
2: <clears throat> yeah dude they they are not only are they tough to find i just couldn't believe how they're able to scale some of these cliffs i mean we were I remember that morning we got up that morning and we were watching the, just their silhouettes at the top of this, this Mesa, you're looking at the top of the Ridge and you're like, Oh man, there they are. And you're thinking they're going to work around this way. Or you're thinking they're going to go that way. Or they're going to go straight back. But this specific group, which y'all actually ended up going after, they just mm. came straight down that cliff face, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They're pretty incredible in their hoof design. I mean, it's, it's uh it's really cool it's kind of especially on some of the younger sheep as the sheep get really old their hoofs like a lot of other animals they'll get harder and more dried up but they literally will stick to the sides of those cliffs and they have their own little pathways and easier ways that they can get down um Mm -hmm. but yeah they're i mean and that's why i said they're a lot more like a a goat or an ibex than they are a sheep and sheep in general are incredible animals and they'll go ex- in some extremely, extremely rugged terrain. But the stuff that Audad can climb really looks a lot more like Ibex country um, than it does sheep country in, in, in a lot of scenarios.
2: Yeah. You know, I know we're starting to get slim on time here. So for the listeners that are out there and they've kind of heard us talking about all the things we have today, what are some other things that we may not have touched on that they should consider? or think about before doing a hunt like this?
1: Um, you know, I, I guess the biggest thing is kind of like we were talking about before, uh, before booking a hunt, just know what you're trying to get out of it. Like it's just terrain wise, um, uh, and, and what your limitations are, um, uh, because there are so it's the, the, places in terrain that you can hunt them in is just so extremely diverse yeah uh, but i mean really you don't have to have done any other mountain hunting like this before uh you don't have to have you know hunted in texas before because it's you know it's such it's such a different hunt um but as long as you kind of prepare for it beforehand you know like we were talking about uh and just come into it, have a good time. Any, anyone can really do it. I mean, it's it's not a walk in the park. It's a true mountain-style hunt. I mean, it really, really is. It's not like we're going on an exotic ranch and, and driving around in the car and shooting one, which nothing wrong with that. I mean, it, it is what it is, um, but it is a true sheep hunt. It's a true desert hunt.
2: <clears throat> I love it. Man, last question. What What do you love most? about chasing after Audad in West Texas and how long do you think it's going to be or how old do you think you're going to be till they're going to have to drag you <laughs> off that mountain
1: yeah I hope I don't die up there at least not soon but uh <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know I would say the most the biggest like the thing that I love about it the most is uh, I was thinking about this the other day because I've said it before and someone looked at me and was like man I've never heard it answered that way um, But really showing people hunters um that they are capable a lot of times beyond what they think uh or or you know ever thought that they could physically um seeing someone overcome their physical boundaries and and especially with guys that haven't done that type of hunt before or that um you know physical of a hunt before seeing them you know push through it and really overcome a lot of maybe fears that they had or maybe just being overwhelmed with the terrain and maybe, you know, any part of the hunt and, uh, and succeeding in the end is is definitely why I enjoy it as much as I do. Like I, I love to hunt for myself, but guiding other people is my passion. It's the reason I do it. I mean, I could, as long as I have a little bit of meat in the freezer and, you know, I get to maybe hunt something a year for myself, then, I'm more happy taking people out friends, clients, you know, anyone uh I'd rather have, you know, on a hunt with me behind the gun than myself. <laughs> so,
2: oh yeah, man. Oh yeah, dude. Well, dude, before we go, give the listeners kind of a quick plug for yourself, where they can find you on social media, the outfits that you guide for, uh let them know.
1: Yeah, so my main uh really my main thing is Instagram, it's west under well Oh, shoot. What is it? It's West <laughs> Texas Sherpa. I can't remember where the underscores are, but it's a West TX Sherpa. Um, the main outfit that I work for is called West Texas Hunt Organization. Um, you can check us out there with the different ranches that we have, all the properties that we offer ad hunts on, as well as other. Uh, free range exotics and uh, native animals to west texas and that's westtexashunt.com or westtexashunt.org on instagram um but yeah feel free to give me a follow give our pages a follow and if you ever have any questions just shoot me a dm and i'll get in touch with you as soon as possible
2: hell yeah man and i'll drop your handle down in the description below so dude appreciate your time today
1: yeah man thanks for having me on it was a good talk to you
2: yeah dude we'll have to do it again we'll have to talk mule deer next time
1: yeah, yeah, man. <laughs>